I think it's just a big component of being proud of this country and realizing that somewhere you want to serve something that's a little bit bigger than yourself. This is episode number 138 with David Webb. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, America? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for joining us today and being here and listening in. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm a real estate investor, entrepreneur, and coach. And I'm here with my partner, Gold Star Wife, author and speaker, Barbara Allen. And we have another incredible show for you today, an awesome guest, someone we've been waiting and trying to get on the show for quite some time now. Uh, his name is David Webb. Many of you probably recognize his name or, or have seen him on Fox News. Uh, he's the host of the David Webb Show on Sirius XM patriot 125 uh, he has his own fox nation show as well he's a fox news contributor uh, he's also a columnist for the hill and a breitbart news contributor as well david has been on radio for over 25 years and is a dedicated political activist as well as an active board member on many nonprofits, including the young marines in this episode which also ran as a live interview on our American Snippets Facebook page, David gets real on things like patriotism, the difference between leaders and leadership, and his experiences during the COVID-19 crisis. David is among the biggest supporters of us here at American Snippets, and he's fully behind our first ever live event called the Great American Summit, which unfortunately we had to postpone due to this coronavirus, uh, and that's now happening in the spring of 2021. He'll be joining our incredible lineup of speakers and guests, and he's got a message about what makes this event so special. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with our good friend, David Webb. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. We're here with David Webb today, and this is going to be interesting. David, I got to meet you years ago. I was talking years ago. It's <laughs> my Dave, and I don't even remember at what weird event. I was like, trying to explain to him that I used to wind up in the weirdest places that I had no business being. And there, that's where you would be. And I would bump into you. It was cool. Weirdness um, is not a bad thing. It's highly <laughs> underrated. It's where I thrive. It's where I thrive. So for anybody who may not be super familiar with David Webb, he oh. is the host of the David Webb show on Sirius XM Patriot. Win two five. He's a Fox News contributor, the Hill columnist, a Breitbart News contributor. He's bounced around from one network to another, either as a host or a co-host or a guest or something. He's you've been everywhere, really. I don't know many platforms. Maybe that, I just can't hold a job that man. you haven't been. <laughs> maybe you can't hold a no, but you often appear as co-hosts and and for filling in for people who are in and out, right? Like you're the guy. Yeah, and, and, you're now, always, and now I have to be the host sometimes. And, and yeah, and then you got to be the host sometimes, which is easier said than done. It can look easy, but man, there's there's a lot to that. I, I know. And you make it look super easy. And you have so many um, facets to you and your story. And we were talking quickly, you know, before we went live that before we 
like run out of time. One of the most important things I want to go through with you is your story of climbing up to where you are now, because definitely nobody handed you a single thing. You have worked your ass off to get where you are today. And I love that. And I think it's going to be a good example to other people. Um, and then we're going to go into what it's like in the news world today. I imagine it is completely insane to be in the in the news arena these days. So I'd love to hear about that. And then maybe we'll mention something called the Great American Summit, um, you know, right back towards the end, okay? Still on track. <laughs> All right, still on track. So let's get into it. Tell, tell everybody, because you're more than, um, you know, a commentator. You're a conservative activist, really. Um, My whole life. Yes. And so there's more to, you're not just a pretty face, Mr. Webb. There's... <laughs> <laughs> well, so nothing else. You were always good at flattering me. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I've been at this since I was basically 17, 18 years old. Yeah. So shocker for all of those who want to go after me is something new. I've had my same belief system my whole adult life, which is more than a couple of decades into it, just as you can bit. tell. And <laughs> They're grounded in just like most Americans have. How you were raised, did you think for yourself? Did you find out what you believed in? Could you substantiate it? This, this is not a new process. I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just did it. And, you know, I like to think I got it right for the most part. Yeah, well, you did something right because you have earned a spot in a super competitive industry and a respected spot. And I say that not as if everybody loves you, because if everybody loves you, you're not doing something right, right? Like you're just- yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> lots of people that don't like me, love me, oh, they hate me out. No, <laughs> I haven't noticed. Hold, hold it, if you're over the, if you're over the target, yeah. you're taking fire, okay, I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah, and you have to, and there's a difference, right, between like, just saying things for the sake of saying things, they get it in clickbait and all that, or saying things because you believe in it, and then saying it, you know, with passion and saying things self righteously. And I think you just walk that line so well. There are people who don't like us. They said that we're, you know, we lean too far one way or another. I'm like, well, you know, that's where we are. Um, well, so in America, you're supposed to, you know, espouse your beliefs, right? Yeah. Yes. Stand by them and have a right to them. You know, that constitution, yes. individual rights, individual freedoms, freedom of assembly, freedom of you know, religion, it's about us. It's about you. It's about me. And it doesn't say anywhere in there that Barbara and David have to agree. It says we have the right to our views. It seems like such a simple but so overlooked concept, like right there. If, I think if we could all embrace that concept, this would be a happier place. Let's talk about you said you started since you were 17 or 18. What that? I mean, you know, I'm a mom. I got four boys. Most of them have passed that age, but they weren't none of them to date have been like locked into some sort of, this is what I want to do. This is my focus at that early in age. It's still young, right? So how did you lock into, like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. My parents, parents? I, my parents were wall street parents, you know, work, okay. worked on wall and broad literally. And they would have parties and they'd have people over, you know, colleagues, workers, you know, my mom, my dad's colleagues, and I was always curious, so I'd go down. When I was about 14 or 15, I'd start paying attention. Like, who are all these old people? They seem to be having a good time, and I'm not <laughs> invited. No, but I went down, and, and I was the smart kid. I was the nerd who wanted to know more. So I would go, and I would learn. And my parents always said, you know, at least be able to substantiate what you believe in. You know, if you're going to play a sport, learn the sport. I played lots of sports. If you're going to believe in something, believe in it, but understand why you do. 
So along the way, and then my desire to go into the military combined, it fit more, obviously, with the conservative side of the thought process, with the Republican side of it. I, I analyzed the parties. I did something most kids maybe should do more of, which is I analyzed the basic tenets, the basic belief systems. I, I read the thing, I read the Tocqueville. I read Bastiat. I read all these various books. I learned it. I read Machiavelli. You know, I, I read Sun Tzu. I read things that people should have opened their eyes to a lot more in today's world. And I just said, okay, I get it. I don't know it all, but I get enough of it to know where I want to be. So that's just kind of how it started. So how did you actually then get into the world of broadcasting? I think it had something to do with music. You had, oh, but that's where all great stories start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, seriously, I was yeah. in a bar. Okay. I, I was in a bar. I was of age. I'm going to stick with that story. Okay, yes. Yeah, at this moment. <laughs> and I was having an argument with a DJ about music. And I'd been fortunate enough to grow up around a lot of great musicians and know a lot of great musicians. And we got into an argument about Joe Cocker and what was read in Rolling Stone. And I looked at him and I said, hey, you got the story wrong. And he said, I talked about it on the radio and I read it in Rolling Stone. And I said, well, they got it wrong. There was another guy with me, Turner. I looked at him and said, well, David was at the party, so I'm going to take his word over yours. True story. That's all that happened. Nice. And his boss who was with us said, hold on, tell me about yourself. And here's this kid, you know, at the time, wearing the uniform in ROTC, thinking about, you know, officers' bars instead of, well, okay, alcohol bars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And that's cool. So what was your very first job in the broadcasting arena? Rock radio. Rock there you radio. Go. Boston what was then album-oriented rock, having a great time going to concerts, getting paid to go and be a goofball. And it led from there through different formats. I was lucky. I only worked in the top 10 markets. So I'm not claiming to be the greatest talent. I'm no, you know, Howard Stern or someone else out there. But I went through Boston, New York, Houston, Dallas, and then into syndication because I switched to talk. And then just kept going with, you know, politics and life and news and issues. What made you decide to switch to talk? Guy called me one day. Believe it or not, a lot of this stuff happens when I'm in bars. You're going to find no. a common theme here. It's not that I go to a lot of bars. The good things happen in bars. Hey, the Marine Corps was founded in a bar. So Semper Fi for all you Marines out there. Let's just cut to the chase, all right? And look at where we are today. No, I, I, I was having a conversation with a friend. I got a call. He said, I, I, I got introduced to you through someone else who had your number. Hope I don't mind. Hope you don't mind me calling you. I said, what is it about? He said, well, I know you've written about this and you've talked about it and you're politically active and you do music and you do entertainment talk. Uh, you ever thought about doing political or news and issues? That's it. I said, why not give it a try? So I went in. It was a four-hour-a-night show. I'd gone from a two-hour-a-night talk show to a four-hour show. Walked in, did the first three shows, said, let me try it out. And then next thing I know, there I was. And by the way, it was not easy. There was nothing easy about this. First night on air when it came on and they said, USA at Night with David Webb, I went, oh, my God, this is mine. Yeah. It's like, it's like you get the wheel to the car. Here you go. And how did how did that go? What were the reviews as they came in? Were there people that were like, get this guy off the air? Or did everybody Probably. say, good job? Like, how 
How was it? Did you have critics? It was everything, but I'll tell you a funny story. I, I get into the studio and I've got separate producer booths, you know, my producers, and they built this really nice setup for me. I sit down, the, the, the opening comes on, I hear it, you know, USA at Night with David Webb, and I don't remember the next 20 minutes. That's fun. That's yeah, how you know I, it was I, a big I moment. started, yeah. I sweated through my shirt. In the break, I said, get me a new shirt out of something. And it was what would happen. Here it is. It's yours. And that's how it started. And that show launched me into talk and then, you know, into syndication even more because that was syndicated. And it just kept going. How did you wind up getting your own show? Because that happened before you became a Fox contributor, right? Yeah, I'd been at it for yeah. a while. I mean, I started in 19, in talk radio, I started in 1997. So like I said, I've been around more than a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just had, call it the good fortune, to get into good shows, do them, work hard. I claim, like I said, I never claimed to be the best, but I did the work. I kept it straight. And for some reason, you know, guys like Tom Trattup and others who are, some of the giants in talk radio kept hiring me. So, you know, if you do the job and any industry changes, you go get another job. Yeah. So for like a four hour show, how many hours would you put in for that four hour show? You know, if I had to average it out, Barbara, I'd say you put in three to four to five hours a day to get to that show, but you're really doing it 24 seven. Yeah, because you're, you're constantly you're thinking and awake and aware. Yeah. You, you're aware of stories. You're aware of what's around you. You're talking to people. Look, ideas come at you in the shower. They come at you driving down the highway. Yep. I'll tell everybody this. If you see a lot of people talking to themselves in cars over the years, they're talk show hosts. Because yeah. all we do is talk to ourselves when we drive around. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. let's see, how am I going to do this? We practice. Okay, I got before Bluetooth headphones, when you thought people were nuts in their cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was us. <laughs> it really if, was. I, if I'm going to do a talk somewhere too, I'll be, I'll run through that talk over and over while I'm driving or mm-hmm. while I'm walking, whatever, walk around yeah, my house, talking to the dog. Next to you with yeah. the light and just like, well, she's really pretty, but <laughs> nuts. that girl's know. a little crazy. All right. So, you also, you're a huge supporter of the military and you never served yourself, but your dad did. Well, correct? my dad did. Yeah. And I did, but mine was but, a short time. Okay. Yeah, like I said, training in school, peace yeah, time, yeah. four years. But my dad did two so, tours in Vietnam. And, you know, those were two long tours for him. And that yeah. started me off. I don't know if that started me off. I should correct myself. I've had a history in the military that goes back to the revolution. Just to be clear, I have great uncles uh, that fought at Valley Forge with Washington on the Donaldson side. How are you able to trace that? That's so cool. Yeah, they fought literally in every war in some way, members of my family. And my uncle and my godfather was at one time Commodore of the U.S. Navy and uh, Fleet Commodore, rather, and then Dean of the Naval War College. So there's a whole history that's in my family in different branches. We've covered, I think, all of them uh, clearly. So it was always there and it was always about the country, who we are and what service is. So that's... You know, it's changed a little bit in the recent generations, like a lot of other families, but uh, it was always there. 
do you think that history of service in your family? Because I know one of the times I remember the earlier times that I met you was on the set of Harris Faulkner show when you brought that purple heart in when we yeah. were doing that whole no, story. And, yeah. And you could see how much it meant to you. And that struck me like that, you know, that you just connected with it so hard. And so, you know, I will often wonder why someone I'm talking to or working with, like, why are they so into this? You know, I want to know their motive, like what's in it for them. Right. Um, but for you, you could just see that it was something that just resonates in, in you so deeply. And that made a big impression on me uh, in particular. And here we are all these years later. Right. So, yeah. but do you think that has something to do that, that uh, history of service in your family with, you know, your patriotic streak, maybe, um, do you think that people who serve in some form or another, some capacity of other, some branch of the military or law enforcement or whatever kind of service to their community and their country, do you think that they tend to feel more of a patriotic streak than, than not? Or what is your experience with them? You know, I think they do feel a commitment. Yeah. And, you know, some may not even call it patriotism. If you want to go into law enforcement, my dad retired after Wall Street became an EMT. You know, his, his nickname it's was the service, yeah. he was he was the second oldest EMT at the time active in New Jersey, but he went back <laughs> to it. And whether it was as an EMT or he was drafted into the Vietnam War, uh, as my as were his brothers, his brothers and everyone who served, it, it was more about that commitment. And maybe it's a form of patriotism to your community. Maybe it's yeah. to the country. Obviously, if you raise your right hand. I mean, look, no matter how long you serve, you remember that oath from the day you took it. Yeah. Also, you also remember standing in line against a bare wall with a clipboard if you're old enough while you get your medical going in. But, you know, you, you remember those moments because of what they mean. You don't know what you're in for. I, you know, I don't think any of us really do. Yeah. You know, you want to make the commitment. And then, uh, you know, you see how it plays out. I, I think it's a, just a big component of being proud of this country and realizing that somewhere you want to serve something that's a little bit bigger than yourself. So what what happens in your mind or your head when you hear people say that patriotism is racism? They're idiots. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I can't tell you. I've been called a racist so many They're times. Idiots. Yeah. They're idiots. Well, first of all, when has it ever been wrong to be proud of America? And if you understand what we've done in this country in you know, a short time compared to many other countries around the world, other areas that have existed for thousands of years, we turn the tide of colonial racism, of the slave trade, colonial slavery. We got into two world wars and basically won them. The world paid, played their role. Let's not kid ourselves about that, but yeah. we won them. We innovated. We became the industrial giants, which the rest of the world has benefited from. I mean, America has done so much that's good and overcome so much that we've had in the, the dark parts of our history. That how can you look at patriotism and belief in this country and say it's wrong? If it is, then you're only interested in selling a lie. I'm not saying we didn't have our dark past. We didn't have our bad times. Every nation has that because we're made up of people. But we've evolved out of it to where we are today. And we didn't get there because, because we got there because there were people who had a bigger belief, the founding fathers. Yes, there was slave trade, but they saw something else. 
And as we grew as a nation, we saw other things. Women's rights became a big issue. But there was a belief system that went with that, and it was the Republican tenets founded by Lincoln that led us to Calvin Coolidge and the women's right to vote, the suffragette, the suffragette movement. Look at all of these areas of our society that have done better. It's come from the conservative mindset. It's come from the Republican mindset. And while I may even argue and fight with members of my party about doing the right thing, and we will have debates forever, yeah. where have we advanced in this country with the conservative mindset versus the liberal mindset? The problem is we've gotten into our corners, red team, blue team, and even liberals who believed in this country and had different views and approaches on how to get there have been taken over in their leadership by communist socialists and those who believe that America should somehow throw away everything that's made us great and a beacon for the world to give their ideology a chance to fail again. They've destroyed societies. They've destroyed entire parts of the globe with socialism, communism, the Soviet bloc, the Chinese Communist Party, Venezuela, Cuba. You go around tribalism, Islamism, theocracy, dictatorships. Look at where they all come from. They come primarily from the left. And somehow we're supposed to be patriotic and on the right and give them a chance at leadership. Hell no. And that brings me to something you have. Well, you have a lot of cool quotes that I found and I love. But one, I really like you are quoted as saying there's a difference between what I call leaders and leadership. And I think I mean, I found that quote from something you said a long time ago, but I think it's uh, it's almost an evergreen quote (laughs) in in relevance. Right. Um, We give give a lot of people in society the title of leader when I don't give it that easily. You can be a kid and be a leader. You can be a team leader in a sport. You can be a a leader on the playground. You can be a leader with your friends. And you can be a world leader elected to office. But being elected doesn't make you a leader. You rise to leadership when you demonstrate your capabilities and when you take on whether it's tough times or good times. It's not just in the tough times that you get a leader. But your character is not made in those moments. It's shown in those moments. So there are a lot of people out there that are leaders that may not have had that moment when they became a a notable figure, but yet they do it on a daily basis. You do it in your families. You do it so many ways. So how do you think now with everything going on in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, which is unlike anything any of us have ever seen before, how do you think uh, the landscape of of the country is changing in terms of, do you think this is going to have the potential to mend some rifts between the left and the right or widen that gap? Both. There will be people that will go to their corners no matter what. Look, if you like Trump or hate Trump or somewhere in between, you're going to go to your corner on that mostly. There are people that will say that if Trump leads us through this, It's kind of the, you know, if he cured cancer, he created it so he could cure it kind of approach, which is ridiculous. But there are people that believe that there are people that will, you know, go after no matter the right, no matter what it is for some things. And there are people on the far right that will go after the left, no matter what it is. But most Americans are center right. Our country is a center right country and more rational people want to see us come out of this and get back to our daily lives then I have the argument over your team versus my team. 
it, that's really where we are. Go out to the heartland, go to go away from the, 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 the urban media centers. Yeah. And you see people that don't wake up every day and check Twitter, that don't wake up every day and see who tweeted what, that wake up every day and say, what do I need to do for my family, my business, my community, yeah. and whatever else I need to do today. And, and once we get to that perspective, then you start seeing what America is. We're very diverse. We're a very wide and broad country in terms of thought. But we still lean to that center right. And that's because that's our culture. That's our constitution. That's our our declaration of independence. That's our legal and our cultural DNA. Love it. So what is one of the the craziest or most hectic moments that's happened to you as someone in the news industry in these last couple of weeks? I can't imagine what it's been like (laughs) out there. You know, when this really ramped up probably about a month ago, there was a period where I went to D.C. for meetings in the White House, went from there to Dallas, Dallas to New York, back to D.C., I think then to Miami. That was about a three-day, four-day period. I'm not quite sure how that all worked out. Yeah. But but it kind of points to what was happening. There were a lot of meetings, a lot of people being asked to come and provide input. Uh, and the whole idea here was to assess where we were and how we deal with it. And the example or maybe the result of all that is we have people in Washington who actually do listen. I, I know people have valid views of people who are elected to office and people in even this administration, or they say, you know, are they working for us? Well, folks, they do actually work for you. And I know many that do. So it's too easy for any of us, right, left, or whatever, to yell at government. It's a lot more complex to look at it for what it is. Hold the ones accountable that don't do the job, but also realize that there are a lot of people who go in there to do the job and are working hard getting the job done. Yeah, so what was your role in some of those meetings? Like in what capacity were you? Input, advice, sharing information, giving feedback. This, This administration takes feedback. They always have. I've known many in the administration for years before Donald Trump ever ever announced he was going to be president or running for president. And it's just the circumstance of a lot of us have known each other. So now there's, like any other thing in life, the group that you trust, the group that we've been working together on tax policy, on various things, national security, foreign policy, and different organizations that we all belong to or as, you know, sometimes as a team. So you want to hear from people going to give you real feedback. And because of radio, I have a perspective from the people around the country. And that's, they want to hear what people are thinking. They want to hear if their message is resonating and how they can make it better. And for what it is, I've seen some improvements and that's a good thing. Nice. All right. So among the 9 million things that you do, you're on the board of more than one nonprofit Um, And one of those is the Young Marines, which I'd like to talk about because you connected us with them and they are on board to be one of our beneficiaries for an event, which you also very bravely volunteered to to help us with. So tell us quickly about the Young Marines and what they do and why you got involved with them. Well, we got to go back a couple of decades. In a bar. A couple of decades plus. (laughs) We had a red jacket ball for you Marines watching. You know what that is. and others as well. Uh, And I met a group of World War II vets 
then a group of Marines, and one thing led to another, and call it understanding each other. And the young Marines, because I've always believed that, you know, I know it's the obvious statement, children of the future, but the young Marines for now almost 53 years have been working to educate the, the youth of this country and not to guide them to the Marine Corps, but God, family, country, patriotism, being the best person. I know young Marines that have lived in dirt poor conditions without a television that have gone on to college. I know young Marines that have come from the other end of the spectrum and everywhere in between. And this organization has helped kids be the best they can be and make decisions about their own lives for decades. That says something about them. They're not trying to tell you who to be, what to be. They're opening the doors. So when you're eight years old, you can become a young Marine. And when you graduate high school, you matriculate out of the program. But when you look across the, the broad spectrum of kids they've served, not only here, but also in South Korea, uh, because they're at bases around the world, they're in Ramstein, you know, we have units in different parts of the world as well, and in our territories, you see a similar belief. And it really is, how can you be the best you can be? What are your skills? We'll give you some structure, we'll help you learn to develop them. But then it's up to you. And the message there is, it's your life, take control of it. That's so cool. So, and, and again, they're going to be one of the beneficiaries of our Great American Summit. Can you just tell people quickly? I want to hear in your words. I don't think I ever made you do this. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> what is the Great American Summit? And what has compelled you to offer yourself up as tribute to help us put this together? <laughs> okay. In truth, Barbara called yeah. me and told me I had no choice. <laughs> Everybody, now you know the real story. All right, end of story. That's it, because I'm so intimidating. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not shy. No, look, <laughs> the, the idea that you have had of entrepreneurship, uh, pulling together people who want to help themselves and help others, Great American Summit, the idea that it's really about a, a result and a goal you're aiming for, which is entrepreneurship, building a business, building your life, working together. You know, the like-minded part of this is really American. You didn't tell me this is for Republicans and Democrats can't come in. It was for military and ex-military can join in. But if you're not, you can't, you, you never limited it. You simply kept it American. To me, just like the young Marines, just like a lot of other organizations in this country and individuals, that's all they want. They want a piece of their own opportunity. And the Great American Summit's about opportunity because to me, that is the American dream. If you want it to be a condo, a house, a farm, if you want to be an over-the-road trucker, you want to be a pilot, you want to be a Wall Street banker, whatever it is, it's yours. You want to be a carpenter, a plumber, it doesn't matter. And to me, what you're doing and what this summit represents is people who have skills, abilities, talents they want to find, they want to explore, and then they want to go out and partner with others. That's how we build a great capitalist society. Awesome. Man, thank you so much, David, for letting me track you down and for sticking with me all these years. You really are someone that I respect and, and appreciate just to be you know present in my life. Yeah, I thank you really mutual. so much. And I look forward to Barbara calls answer the phone. <laughs> I look forward to seeing, you know, what comes next with you and catching up with you and putting this all together. And good luck dealing with all of that out there. And thank you for being a voice that I personally know that I can believe 
you know, what you are saying, and that's like a good source of comfort there for me in this crazy, confusing time of the media. So thank you and best to you and say hello to Astrid and tell her thank you for letting me borrow you again for 45 minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> and Anytime. where can people find you and connect with you, by the way? They want to follow up. They want to catch your show. They want to call in. They I'm easy talking. to find. I've been around so long they can't get me off any search engines. And just <laughs> type in David Webb. Or you can go to webmedia.com and get all the information there on Twitter, David Webb show. I keep it really simple. Look, just Google David Webb. Yeah. There's like me, a jeweler and a movie director and everybody else doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For I the love David it. Webb you. that's probably watching this. I don't know. You do I'm matter, David here. Webb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common name. All right. All right. Try having Barb Allen as your name. There's nine gazillion of us. All right. Thank you, man, so much. I'm going to let you go to wherever you need to go next. And I will, of course, be in touch again soon. You got it. I'll answer. Thanks, David. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. There you have it, everyone. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you listening in to this episode with David Webb. I'd like to personally thank David Webb uh, as well for being here and spending some time with us and sharing his story. If you got any value out of this episode, please share our podcast with a friend. Let people know what we're doing here. Share our message of positivity, possibility, and patriotism. Share this episode on social media. Make sure you follow us on social media at uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at American Sippets. And most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you enjoyed this episode or any episode that we've done in the past. iTunes reviews are really important in helping us get these stories out there in front of more people. Don't forget to visit us online at americansippets.com. You can see the full featured article that we did on David Webb, watch the video interview in its entirety, and we'll also throw in some links there that you can use uh, to follow uh, David Webb as well on his Sirius XM radio show and on Fox Nation. Um, appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. Yeah.